0: We were blessed last time to look at the first seven verses of this uh, prophetic unfolding of God's redemptive purposes. There's a primitive Baptist minister of long ago uh, that said you can boil the gospel down to two main principles or threads that run all the way from Genesis to Revelation. He said, ruin and recovery. Elder John Leland said that that was the synopsis of the, the gospel, ruin and recovery. And what he was implying through that was that from the beginning in Genesis where we see the ruin of man, we see God revealing through the rest of the Bible his purpose in recovering fallen man. When we come to chapter 20 in the book of Revelation we are reminded of those two threads because we see the two groups represented. Those ruined by sin and left unredeemed. And those ruined by sin that by sovereign grace have been recovered. I tried to explain last time that chapter 20 is is a very controversial chapter because there's so many ideas about what the millennium actually represents. And I'm not going to stand before you and say that I have figured it out because uh, some of the things I'm going to say tonight are still a mystery to my mind. For instance, after the millennium expires... We're going to read tonight where the devil that has been incarcerated, that has been bound, is let loose. And he's going out and deceiving the people that are actually living in the millennium and leading a major rebellion against God again. That's a mystery to me. What could that possibly accomplish in this ruin and recovery thread But nonetheless, we're going to approach it in the way that the Bible is written, to be literally true. Even though we can't explain all of those hidden things that belong only to God, yet we want to be honest with the Word of God and not ignore the things that we don't understand. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time in talking about the first and second resurrection, the first and second death, as it's, as it's defined by the Word of God itself, remembering that the first death is both physical as well as spiritual, while the second death is described as eternal, being forever and ever. And uh, in verse 6, we stopped last time here, uh, we see the fifth beatitude of the book of Revelation, the blessed, the beatitudes, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, or Abus. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. The beast representing the Antichrist and the false prophet, the religious leader of the last day where they are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, having read this, we need to come to the scripture with an honest heart. And we acknowledge that these are the words of the living God showing John something that was going to transpire at the end of this age, at the very end of what we refer to as time. When time shall be no more, at, the point, at that point God is going to demonstrate His sovereign will and power not only over the condemnation of the unjust, of the wicked. I believe this is incorporating all the human beings that have ever lived in all of the ages and all of the past, all of them together. are are going to uh, be raised. They're going to be resurrected. They're going to be uh, brought before this great white throne. And I'll say more about that in a moment, but I want to back up to Gog and Magog. We need to remember from our study of the book of Genesis where Magog came from. Magog is the grandson of Noah. Genesis chapter 10 verse 2. He's the the eldest son of Japheth, who is the son of Noah. And the reason I want to bring Noah into this study tonight is because we remember what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. He said, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's a connection there between Magog and Noah. And here in Revelation chapter 20, we see Gog and Magog uh, representing what we today know as um, uh, the peoples that represent Russia. Uh, they're the, definitely the northern uh, tribes uh, that, des- that descended from Japheth, and, and that's a, a, just a point of history. Uh, nobody disagrees with that. But what, what we don't understand is how they can convene in this millennial state where Jesus is ruling actually from Jerusalem according to Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 17. Jesus is actually going to rule from the city of David. That's what it says. I'm not trying to understand that. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And... Uh, And we read Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, and we see this great battle that we always apply to uh, Armageddon. We always apply those verses to what happened before the millennium started. And yet we come back a full circle. And now we're going to fight another battle that's on the same scale, if you will, as Armageddon. And that doesn't make sense to me. But here it is in the Word of God, and it says that there's going to be an ultimate rebellion that is going to be led by Satan himself at the end of the millennium. God has a hidden purpose for that. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, it is to reveal the malice of Satan, even uh, in a perfect habitation where you have... Christ and His people ruling in happiness and joy and uh, peace. And now He's going to be let loose to do what He does best. Deceive the nations. Maybe that's to establish the fact that no matter how much time passes, Satan will always be evil. And the wicked will always be wicked. Don and I are reading through the book of Job again and and, and it's amazing, you know, when you read what those, those spiritually minded men said about the wicked. They not only talk about the righteous being accepted and blessed of God, but they also say a whole lot about the wicked and how the wicked labors and labors and labors, and all of their labors are vain, empty, uh, devoid of any value. Uh, they're forgotten, forgotten. In the grave. But there's somebody that doesn't forget them. There's someone in heaven tonight. That is going to hold every one of them accountable. For what they say. For what they think. And for what they do. Jesus taught that in Matthew 5. It's not just their actions. It's their words. And it's not just their words. It's their thoughts. Men are going to be judged based upon those elements. Now you're sitting there and you're saying, You know, Brother Jeff, I'm starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable tonight because you're talking about a judgment of even our thoughts? That's what Jesus said. Jesus taught that. And the Word of God is true. And the great white throne judgment is real. And hell is a geographical place. That is going to house the devil, his angels, and all of the unredeemed. All of the unredeemed. From Adam all the way down to the last generation. And that's beyond comprehension to this poor boy's mind. I can't understand that. But what I do, I believe what God said. And there's a time when... I'm always mindful of this. When the Apostle Paul stood in Athens, remember in Acts chapter 17, he stood in Athens and he's standing before this host of pagans, idolaters, and he's saying, there's a time that God has appointed. God Himself appointed a time when He will judge the earth in righteousness. He will judge the wicked in righteousness. Absolute Perfect righteousness. That's why it's a great white throne judgment. Now, Brother Jeff, I'm still feeling a little bit uh, uncomfortable with that idea that even God is knowing what I'm thinking. He's uh, knowing not only what I say and do, but He's knowing what is in my very mind, and that makes me very uncomfortable good. But let me tell you some good news tonight. Jesus Christ died upon the cross for a people that were given Him in covenant before time ever began. And He took the judgment that was rightfully laid up against us. Not only our actions, but our words and our thoughts and our deeds. All of that was laid upon Christ when He hung upon that cross. But don't sit there tonight, believer, And think that there's no judgment for you. Because there is. But we're going to be judged in Christ. When we read the writings of Romans and 1 Corinthians, we're introduced to the the concept of the judgment seat of Christ. Before which we all must stand. But that judgment is not a works judgment. That judgment is not a a displacing judgment. What Christ did upon the tree of the cross for us, He paid the debt. We're not being judged at the end of our life whether we're going to go to heaven or hell. Have you ever heard that concept? I, I in fact, I heard it on the radio uh, just recently. A man was talking about God holding a scale, and when a person dies, he puts his good works on one side and his uh, evil works on the other side. And if your good works outweigh your evil works, then you've got you you, you made it by the skin of your teeth. Boy, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm so glad that that's not the truth of the Bible. I'm so glad to report to you that that is not the nature of the saving work of Jesus Christ the very illustration that I want to present to your mind is that the blood of Jesus Christ is put on one side. And then every bit of our goodness is on the other side. Because even our goodness is bad in the eyes of a holy God. Even even the very best that we do is still impure in the eyes of a holy God. People say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I'll tell you why. Because there's no good people. There's no good people based on God's goodness. But let's look at it. And and, and I hope by the time I finish our study tonight, you'll be encouraged because that's why John was given this vision. He was given this understanding to give him grace to persevere. Through the struggle and the tribulations that he was presently enduring. God is just telling uh, John. I know it looks like Rome is on top right now. And it looks like they're invincible. And it looks like uh, they're getting away with all of this idolatry and wickedness John. But I want you to know they're not getting getting, uh, away with anything. Because one day they're going to be judged. The emperor is going to be judged. The Romans are going to be judged. All men are going to be judged. But in this uh, uh, in this scenario, uh, we, we we notice we notice that war comes at the end of this age, and God demonstrates again His sovereign power. And I want to uh, back up to verse nine. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints uh, about and the beloved city. The beloved city is Jerusalem. There's no doubt in my mind the beloved city is Jerusalem. That's exactly what the psalmist David called it in Psalm chapter 78 verse 68 and Psalm chapter 87 verse 2. That's exactly what he referred to Jerusalem as, the beloved city. The the city beloved of God. He says, uh, here comes the enemy, Gog and Magog, the descendants of Noah, if you will, through Japheth. And they haven't changed their strategy at all. They hate God. They hate righteousness. I'm telling you that America tonight is in trouble. Because uh, Magog is still marching through the camp. Magog is still raising up his ugly hand against the saints of God. Against the truth of God. Against uh, the salvation of God. In America, we're seeing it. But here we see they're encompassing about uh, the holy city of Jerusalem. And look at here. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. They weren't devoured by M16s or big tanks or nuclear weapons. Somebody asked me, don't you think God can use uh, nuclear weapons to just uh, destroy all mankind and destroy the earth? Don't you, aren't you worried about global warming? I do believe in global warming, by the way, because the longer I live in this wicked world, the more I realize that the jaws of hell are opening wider and wider, and the temperature of hell is starting to be felt. And brothers and sisters, if this nation doesn't repent of its sinful attitude toward the God of heaven, you're going to see this nation fall as well. I I, I grieve for my country because of the things we're seeing happen today. But fire falls from heaven. The God that we're here to worship controls the fire from heaven. Amen? Do you remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19? Brothers and sisters, that was real fire. Real fire and real brimstone fell from heaven down upon that wicked, wicked city. I remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 where in the ministry of Elijah, Elijah said, let the God that answers by fire be the true God. And what happened? What happened, class? Fire fell from heaven and accepted the sacrifice of Elijah. I remember fire. Coming down upon the the sons of Aaron. Because they were offering a, a polluted sacrifice before him. Fire came down from heaven. The apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 said. That when the Lord Jesus shall come again. He shall overthrow. He will judge the wicked with fire. The God that is talked about here in revelation chapter 20 is a god of fire our god is a consuming fire um, many other passages come to my mind that declare that truth and what does it do it devours the wicked now this is important to understand when we go through fiery trials in our lives those uh that that, that fire is to purify us It's actually to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our confidence in God. But the fire that God sends upon the wicked is always to destroy them, always, always to devour them. In verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into, I like that language, cast into the lake of fire and brimstone Where the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is a picture of continuous, unrelieved torment. It's eternal. This is the second death. And then I saw this great white throne. Remember, I've taught you through this study how many times you find the word great. This is a throne that's greater than. Than the Supreme Court of the United States. This, this is a throne that is greater than uh, the threat we now are enduring from China, Iran, and Russia. This is greater than that. This, this uh, throne is greater than any human agency or human employment. I saw this great white throne emphasizing the holiness, the purity, the wonder of this throne. I believe that this is describing the final judgment of the unredeemed of all the ages. Many, many verses of scripture come to my mind in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Matthew chapter 11, verse 22, Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 42, and many others that we could turn to and show you that this is God's uh, plan, this is God's purpose. Uh, He's going to hold all men accountable. Nobody is getting away with anything. I believe what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. It is appointed unto men once to die after this what? After this what? The judgment. The judgment. No one is getting away with anything. But here's curious language that I believe is literally true. It says, and him that sat on the throne. I believe that that's a reference to the person of Christ. The reason I'm saying that is because in John chapter 5, remember Jesus said, the Father hath committed all judgment to the Son. So when, when John is seeing this throne, this throne is sat upon by Christ. Christ is the judge of all the earth. But watch this language. Don't miss this. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, brothers and sisters, this is this is language. Um, if I can use this terminology. This is universal uncreation. It's, it's, it's taking what is here, this broken, malleable, sin-cursed. Remember, the earth is cursed for man's sake. Sin-cursed earth and uncreating it. And what's he going to do? In the next two chapters, we're going to read where he brings a new heaven and a new earth back together. Peter described that, I believe, Peter described that in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he said that the earth and all the elements thereof will burn with a fervent heat. I, I don't think he's talking about a nuclear blast. I believe he's talking about the voice of God uncreating the sin-cursed earth, bringing it back together as a new heaven and a new earth upon which his elect family will live and serve the Lord forever and ever. Remember, it's a new heaven, new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. In other words, there's no more Satan. There's no more Antichrist. There's no more false prophet. There's no more unredeemed in that world, that, I believe, eternal state that we're longing for that day to come. But I think it's interesting that the heaven and earth fled away. He saw that. And then he saw something else. In verse 12 he said, I saw the dead. And I believe that what he's referring to is not only, the, not only the people that have died in the past, but he's describing their spiritual condition. These are people dead in trespasses and in sin. That's exactly where you were. That's exactly where I was before the grace of God came into my heart and, and, and gave me a new birth and gave me faith through which I was able to lay hold upon Christ and His salvation. As Brother Kevin said in his prayer, that we might rejoice in the joy of our salvation. We have a salvation tonight. We need to rejoice in. Because we are saved. We're delivered from the wrath that is to come. Oh, hallelujah. I saw the dead. Small and great. Here here are the ones that are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. Those that are dead in trespasses and in sin. Those that uh, know not God uh, nor uh, believe the gospel. they're, They're unbelieving, they're Christ rejecting. They actually are described as haters of God. If you can imagine somebody being that blind to be haters of God. The source of all that is good, they hate Him. The source of all that is right, they hate Him. The the source of all that is just, they hate Him. They're the ones that are going to stand before this holy throne. Listen to it carefully. And this is what God has delivered us from. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Notice the plural. The books were opened. And of course, I, I, you know, it, this is the imagery of of, of revelation. It, it's as though, uh, you know, here's the here's the judicial bar, and the judge is standing there, and he's got this huge volume, and he's saying, "Poe, P O E K Ah, got it. Here it is. You know." That's the imagery we have. The books were opened. The books were open. Of course, Brother Kevin, I don't believe you're in this book. <laughs> I believe you're in the other one. <laughs> I, I, I thought I would better make that clear. Yeah. Well, the books were open. I, I believe that this is a reference to the omniscience of God. This is the imagery that is showing us that God remembers and knows all things. He he knows the very thought of Adam. He knows the very thought and action of Eve. He knows the very thought of the last person that will live in this world. He knows all of this, but John sees it as a book. And not just one book. There's many books. What about the book of the law? The book of the law of God. Somebody says, oh, Brother Jeff, when Jesus died on the cross, he threw away that old law. That old, that old law doesn't have anything to do with our lives today. That's wrong. You're wrong. Jesus did not uh, remove the law. He didn't uh, obscure the law. He did not abrogate the law. I'm looking for the right word. He didn't remove the law. He lifted it even higher to show you and me how much we need him. To fulfill it on our behalf. We're not antinomians. We are not against the law of God. The the world is going to be judged by the law of God. All right, that's one of the books. The other book is the words, deeds, actions of the wicked. These books record all the names and actions of the unredeemed. And by the way, brothers and sisters, don't don't think I'm uh, inventing this. Don't don't think I'm... uh, Um, adding something to the Word of God that's not there. I want you to turn your Bible very quickly back to the book of Daniel and hold your finger there. I want you to see how this lines up with exactly what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7 verse 10. This is what God showed Daniel before the coming of Christ. But I believe that several of these references are going back to exactly what Daniel said. Because in Daniel chapter 7, we could read the whole thing, but we don't have time. Beginning with verse 9, he says, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days, that's Christ, brothers and sisters, the ancient of days, did sit, whose garment was white as snow, his hair of his head like pure wool, his throne, notice the throne, his throne, Was like a fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. I like that. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. He is the Lord of hosts. Isn't he? The Lord of armies. (laughs) The judgment was set. Now here's what I want you to underline in your Bible. The judgment was set. And the books were opened. You see what John is doing in our text? John is quoting Daniel. The books were opened. Hallelujah. Before you leave the book of Daniel, go to chapter 12, verse 1. Because there's not just those books talked about in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, listen to this. He says, and at that time... This is at the end of the age. At that time shall Michael stand up. The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. The children of the redeemed. And there shall be a time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that uh, to that same time. This is Jacob's trouble. This He's talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about uh, the seven year period of time. Called Daniel's 70th week. That's the the time frame that he's referring to here. A time of trouble. Now watch this. And at that time. Thy people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found. Written in. A book. One of the books. The book. What book is that? Brothers and sisters, that's the book of life. Hallelujah. You see the beauty of this? He, he's referring to what Daniel was seeing. But God told Daniel, Daniel, you, you shut this up. Don't, don't uh, share this. This is going to be sealed for a time. But now on the Isle of Patmos, God is saying it's time to unveil what is written. It's time to, uh, 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 to, uh, The time has come to unveil and reveal what my purpose in redemption is is so here it is the books are opened and another book was opened hallelujah we're going to go from daniel 7 10 to daniel 12 1 and what was that the book of life and notice it's the that's a definitive uh, word it is the book there's just one the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. The book of remembrance. Uh, the, the book of the law. Uh, the book of the thoughts, deeds, and actions. Uh, the, the thoughts, words, and actions of the wicked. Those books are opened. And the dead are judged out of those books. Not 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 the, the elect. Not the those born of the Spirit of God, not the children of God, not the sheep of God, are going to be judged out of those books. Why? Well, that's, be- that's because we're so good. That- that's because we, you know, we, 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 we earned our way. We worked hard in this life to get a crown of gold. No, I'm afraid not. Brothers and sisters, and this is, this is so humbling, isn't it? This really reduces the pride of man to nothing, to dust. You didn't have one thing to do with it. It was God's will, God's mind, God's purpose. And he wrote that name. Somebody says, well, he wrote my name in his book when I did this and this and this. No. He wrote our names in his book before the foundation of the world. You can't take a bit of credit. (laughs) Isn't that humbling? Isn't that humbling? Do Do you want to know why people reject the doctrines of grace so much? Why they despise the doctrines of grace? Because it removes every bit of honor from man and gives every bit of it to God. And by the way, that's why we love it so much. Because God gets all the glory. Now quickly, I've got to close here. (laughs) Listen to this. And the sea gave up her dead, which were in it. I'm going to make a point here that you're going to need. The sea gave up her dead, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them in other words all the human race is involved in this and they were judged every man according to their works he's talking about the wicked right those whose names are not in the lamb's book of life and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death now 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 brothers and sisters i'm going to tell you if you forget everything i say don't forget this He's telling us something. He, he's explaining to us what the Apostle Paul meant in Romans chapters 8 and 9. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 9 that there are vessels fitted for destruction. Fitted. that the, 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 the non-elect, the unregenerate, the unbelieving... Are going to be fitted. They are going to be given a body. A resurrection body. That is fitted for hell. That can exist. That can endure. The flames and torments of hell. Just as much. As we will be fitted. The elect will be fitted. With a body. That can be sustained. In a heavenly. uh, uh, Pure. Holy presence. See, this body right here, this uh, thing that gets tired and weary and gets sick and gets old and uh, breaks down and all of that, this body is not the one that is fit for heaven. But in the resurrection, that which was sown in mortality is going to be raised in what? Immortality. That which was sown in weakness is going to be raised in strength. You see, fitted for heaven's pure world. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Last point, and i close. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, brothers and sisters, I did not write that. And I don't believe God wrote that to scare anybody. He's declaring His eternal purpose. The very power, listen to me careful the very power that raises, uh, raised Jesus Christ from the dead is going to again raise all the human race from the dead. And in that moment... The elect of God are going to be described as sheep on the right hand, and the unregenerate and unbelieving are the goats on the left hand, and the eternal habitation of both is something that cannot be changed. It's something that cannot be altered. We'll be forever with the Lord, but they'll be, the wicked will be forever in, in a devil's hell. And the only reason you and I Tonight, the only reason you and I tonight cannot fear hell or anticipate our being in hell is because of God's grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention tonight. You want me to close in prayer?